But um, what an awesome thought it is that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. And um, it's an amazing thought. And uh, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 together. And this is where we're going to kind of call home base for the morning. Um, Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst as a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you off the face of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at your word today, and um, today being Father's Day, and we're thinking about legacy and impact, um, Really help us to think influence others and what your word says about how we're supposed to be involved in the lives of others, Lord. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit just speaks to us each individually with where we're at this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Legacy. I could not help but think about legacy today with it being Father's Day. Um, so I decided to look up in Merriam Webster's dictionary what exactly they say legacy is. Um, The first definition is a gift by will, especially of money or other personal property, a bequest. The example, she left us a legacy of a million dollars. The second part of the definition, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. There are examples, the legacy of an ancient philosopher, and then the war left the legacy of pain and suffering. Um, As I said, I couldn't help but think about legacy today, but I really don't When I think of legacy and what a legacy is, in my life, the first part of this definition really doesn't play into that. Um, But really, the second part there is, how does what I do impact the next generation? What is what I do and say, what does it show to those who are in the generations to come? Um, I really hope, as that example stated, it's not the pain and suffering part of the war example. Um, But all of us leave an impact on others. All of us are leaving a legacy. Um, Some of you may remember in 1993, Charles Barkley was being interviewed, and the question asked to him was, 
as a made note of how he spent his nightlife and the things he was doing, the question was asked, how do you think this affects young people? And anyone remember his response? Um, I am not a role model. Um, Nike took that and turned it into an ad campaign. Fewer people remember another famous basketball player, Carl Malone's response to that. And he said, his personal decision to try not to be a role model, role model doesn't make a difference. He is one, like it or not. And I believe this is true for all of us. Whether or not we want to, we are making an impact on others. In fact, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I believe it's something that all of us are called to be doing. Um, I can think of a list of people who have impacted my life. Parents, other family members, coaches, teammates, scout leaders, teachers, parents of my friends, and my friends themselves. We're all impacted by a variety of people and by a variety of experiences throughout our life. And it's humbling to think about all those who have had influence on me. And I think it's probably humbling for all of us to think about all of those that we have influence on. Um, The older I get, the more seriously I take this. I wish I would have had more of this mindset when I was younger. Unfortunately, when I was younger, a lot of how I thought was that Charles Barkley mentality of what what I do just matters to me. It doesn't matter if I'm a role model or not. What impact do I want to leave on those I influence? Those of you who are parents sometimes understand that what we are communicating to our children is not always necessarily what they're receiving. Um, Oftentimes, we blame our kids. Um, Why can't you listen better? Or we say things like that. Truth be told, a lot of times, as a parent, I'm not a good communicator. Um, As a teacher, as a pastor, as a coach... Sometimes we don't communicate things as well as we think we do. Um, So it's not being received the way that we want to. And I'm sure that sometimes when we're trying to communicate and what we're trying to say, maybe it's our actions that make what our words say contradictory. So I wanted to find out a little bit about what legacy am I leaving on my children. So I decided to ask them a series of questions. Um... So I had my wife ask those questions, hoping that in some way, shape, or form, um, that that would negate some of the pressure they feel to answer a certain way. Um, But I'm not naive. I knew that my kids were going to see what these were. So I asked them these five questions about me, hopefully to give some insight into my legacy. What parts of my life are having an impact on them? They probably see me in action more than anyone except for my wife. So here are the five questions. The first question, what are five things I love? The second question, what are five things I love to do? The third, what do I spend most of my time doing? Fourth, what are the most important things to me? And fifth, what do you see me doing that you would want to do? And here are their responses. They're in no particular order other than they showed up on every list or the majority of lists. And also keep in mind that they were, my kids are six to 16. So there's a variety of influence that goes there. Five things I love. Family, God, Jesus, the church, soccer, and several outdoor-related activities. Five things I love to do. Hunting, soccer, several references to food, which I don't know if I should have been offended by. (laughs) Archery and other shooting sports, and playing the guitar. Three, what do I spend most of my time doing? And there was a unanimous answer to that, anything church-related. That was the answer I got. What are the most important things to me? God, family, my wife, church, hunting, guitar. Um, 
what do you see me doing that you want to do? Um, these kind of baffle me a little bit. Um, mow the lawn. <laughs> Work. And then shoot bow as well as I do. Those were the responses. Um, but even in those responses, it, it speaks to where and how our influence hits people at different points in time in their life. Um, the mow the lawn answer, I have one child who is very interested in mowing the lawn right now and tags along as I mow the lawn. As he were, So it's natural that right now what is on his heart to want to do that I do, mow the lawn. So what stuck out to me also is that these are things that are involved in with me. And if you ask me to make a list of things that I want to be known for and leave behind, I'm okay with that list. But is God okay with that list? What if you wrote down a list of things you want to be known for and then compared it to what the Bible says we should be known for? How close would they be? I'm not going to tell you how you should be impacting someone's lives um, or whose life you should be impacting because we're all uniquely put into the lives of unique individuals. But we can look to God's word for guidance and direction in how, where, and when we impact others. We all get to leave our own unique legacy for God's honor and glory. And I believe this passage in Deuteronomy gives us some core values in how to do that. Back to chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Now this is a commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. The first three verses here establish that God's commands are important to you, but they're also important for the generations that will come after. First, there's a necessity not to just learn them, but to do them. We'll talk more about that later. But then next, what Moses is saying is that we need to fear the Lord. This is one of those things I know I am constantly working on in my relationship with, with God and my following the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, now, we need to look at the context of who it was written and why. And the authors of the Bible Knowledge Commentary, I'm going to read their definition here of the fear of the Lord. And I, this is one of those things I probably saw about 20 years ago, um, this definition, and I've used it time and time again in teaching it. Um, their definition for the fear of God. In the Old Testament, the fear of God is more than awe or reverence, though it includes both. Fearing God is becoming so accurately aware of his moral purity and omnipotence that one is genuinely afraid to disobey. Fearing God also includes responding to him in worship, trust, obedience, and commitment. Now keep in mind just how important this thought is to the nation of Israel. God's commands and laws provided a reference point for how they were to worship and for worship itself. God's commands and laws were also the nation of Israel's judicial and government system. They didn't have local, state, and federal government and laws. They had God's law, and that is how they were to live. God's law was also the moral compass that guided them. But the fear of God is not just exclusive to the nation of Israel here in the Old Testament. We see that fearing the Lord is also commanded and taught in the New Testament. Matthew ten twenty eight, And do not fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. 
Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus reminds us of the one who controls eternity, then encourages us because God is ultimately in control. Acts 9.31, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The church was growing and serving in the region in response to its fear of the Lord and guidance by the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Peter 1, 16 to 17. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, we're reminded that we should live with reverence, awe, and the fear of the Lord as we live here on earth as followers of Jesus Christ. Do we truly have a fear and reverence because of the awesomeness of God? The generations after us need to understand that we have a fear of the Lord. We need to show that. We need to model that. And we get there by keeping his commands and his statutes. It provides us with a perspective of who we are in light of just who God is. Am I intentional about making sure a part of the legacy I leave and the impact I have is a knowledge of the word of God and his commands, and that this directs the way I live my life? Now, you see the phrase, you shall, a lot in this passage. It's not a passive. It's not a please do this when you feel like it or a please do this when it fits into your schedule. Um, This is a direct command. Yet, if we're being honest, we treat many of God's direct commands as if they're optional. Doing these commands found here is not easy. It takes work, discipline, intention. It requires effort. With the thoughts of legacy in mind and impact, knowing that God wants us to pass on his word to the next generations, these you shalls are extremely important. God is giving us a way to help pass down his word from one generation to the next. The first you shall... You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Now, you see in this passage here that this first commandment is set apart from the other commands by an and. You will do this, and then you will do this. So what does it mean to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might? How do you know you love God? What things do people do that tell you that they love God? Turn in your Bibles with me to John 14. I think it'll be up here on the screen. We're going to look at John 14, verses 15 to 24. If you you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am, I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, 
and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. How well we know and do what is written in God's word has a direct correlation to our love for him. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. When you think about what it says about his commands and this correlation there between love and keeping his commands, when we're honest with ourselves, when we examine our hearts, when we read scripture and commit his scripture to heart and try and do what it's saying, how strong is our love? How much do we love him? Um, And think about that as we get through this. And what happens when we try to keep Jesus' commands with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might? What kind of impact does that have on those around us? What kind of impact does that have on those who are learning from you and observing you? I want to look at one command in particular, and I want to look at this because of its effect on legacy and impact. Um, I refer to this verse as a mission statement that Jesus gave to his disciples um, after his resurrection. It gives us a mission as followers of him. It helps provide what I believe is a biblical foundation for our church mission statement. If you look on the back of your bulletin, um, where it says, God has called us to intentionally make disciples so that we may more effectively reach out in creative and relevant ways to lost people. Turn with me to Matthew 28. And I want to look at verses 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. As a follower of Jesus, part of my legacy should be that I'm helping in the process of making other followers of Jesus. As you and I strive to become more like Christ, we need to be working with those who are not followers of Jesus and showing them who he is. We also need to be working with those who are followers of his to become more like him. We need to have other people in our lives who are helping us become more like him. This is a joyful, messy, time-consuming process. It takes time. It never stops. As followers of Jesus, we should always be involved in this in one way, shape, or form. It may look different in each relationship and at different times, but we should always be involved in the shaping of other lives to be more like Christ. I think oftentimes time is the thing that keeps us from doing it. Over the past several years during conferences that I've gone to, I've noticed this continued theme that kept coming up. Um, If you have a study Bible, you may look there above verse 16 where it says the Great Commission. And that's what we've come to know this passage as. Um, Could almost guarantee at one of the conferences you could page through the different speakers and somebody would be speaking about the Great Omission. And what they were talking about at almost every single one of these was how as a church we have forgotten about making disciples. We had moved away from the disciple-making process and that being our focus and our goal. Um, And as we see the warning here in Deuteronomy 6 in the latter part of what we read there, and we'll get back to that then, um, 
when we get our eyes off of the goal, when we get our eyes off of the one we should be worshiping, other things start to become the focus. Other things start to become the priority. So we need to continue to turn to Scripture and see what's the priority God has put in front of us. What is it we're supposed to be following and doing that he says? And then when I think about that and I look what we read there in John 14, and how our love for him is directly related to our obedience of his, to his commands. And that's convicting. Um, this area of disciple-making disciples, or, yeah, of disciple-making discipleship gives me my focus on how and what I teach, on how and what I parent, and, how invo- and what I'm involved in in my community. The end game is pointing others to Jesus in what I do and say and helping others be more like him. The second you shall, back in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. These are the you shalls that talk about how we learn and teach the commands of God. Um, Today we're fortunate we have the commands of God in in our Bibles. You might have them on your phones and, and tablets. But we have God's commands before us. When you read this, I believe it's important to note that God had Moses instruct them to have it on their hearts before Moses talks about teaching it. Your personal desire to learn and live God's word and to know and do his commands affects the legacy we leave when we teach God's word. This example works great with parents. Um, We have a rule in our house that you don't take food into the dining room. Or, yeah, don't don't take food in the dining room. Don't take food out of the dining room. That's why it's not working. I've been saying it wrong. Um, You don't take food out of the dining room. You eat in the dining room. Guess where the first place I generally, if I come home from here or from practice, the first place I go with food once I come in the house? The living room. I go out on the couch. I go out to my favorite chair. And almost without a doubt, because there's six kids in our house, someone's going to be tagging along shortly thereafter with food. Now, there's nothing more humbling than when I say, go to the kitchen or go to the dining room with a mouthful of food sitting in the living room. But think about how much more it teaches if I say, you know what, I should go out there too. If I go to the dining room, the, the impact that leaves on my kids. And, and you go into my house now and you can, you can see the results in between all the, the cushion joints. Um, <laughs> there's apparently a lot of eating going on in the, on the couch. Um, <laughs> and it's not learning because I don't model it. It's probably one of the reasons it's not working out well. Um, But when we're modeling what we're learning, when we're modeling what we're teaching, when we're living out what we're teaching, the impact is so much greater. Now, the great thing about God's word and learning to do what it says is that we are to be doing it individually and together in community. The more I learn in it, the more I realize I don't know. And the more I see I need to be working on it. And I need others to help me in that process. Um, Back to the food example. I can easily say I can eat here because I'm the dad. Um, But I do believe it teaches a whole lot more if I say, you know what, I should be eating out in the dining room also. As we're working to have God's commands on our heart, as we study, memorize, meditate on, and pray through Scripture, it will transform our lives to begin living what we know. The third you shall. You shall teach them diligently to your children. The Hebrew word translated here to diligently literally means repeat. Now, how many of you feel like or have felt like your parents, your teachers, your mentors, your pastors, your coaches say the same thing over and over and over again? Um, We've all been there. 
The nice part is, is the parent, teacher, mentor, pastor, coach, you can look at them and say, hey, it's in the Bible. Um, the beginning of this verse is speaking about intentional repetition. The things we intentionally repeat in our actions and in our conversations leave an impact. And along with repetition, there needs to be a consistency. Um, we can't do one thing here and this and then respond a different way the next. Our legacy and impact are much greater when our words and actions meet and they teach and show the same thing time and time again. In sports, I know we teach repeating fundamentals over and over until it becomes second nature, and then you move beyond the fundamentals. Um, learning and doing God's word, praying and seeking the Lord's direction are some of the fundamentals that we need to do and teach repeatedly, and then it becomes a part of who we are. The fourth, you shall. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down. I repeat those. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. When I look at these four things as a group, it brings to mind something that really stands out to me about current culture. Technology has given us the ability to continually isolate ourselves. If you are a person that is not a people person, that may not be an issue. It may not be something you struggle with. But if you follow current events and trends, you can see that, especially in the younger generations, there's a growing problem with isolation, depression, and suicide. When I look at this, you shall, we need to be involved in the lives of others. This passage is directly talking about instilling God's word in the children, but I think this applies to all our relationships. Our doing what God has commanded and called us should be evident in how we handle how we live with others. Even our relationship with those who are not followers of Christ will be affected by our relationship with him. God has brought them into our lives to share the good news of who he is with them. God's command should be a vital part of everyday life. It should be on our minds as we go through our daily tasks. Do we look for opportunities to use it? Um, there again, as a parent, it's an easier example, but there's, a, there's all sorts of examples in life around us. When we're intentional about how we're living it and we're going through the day-by-day, moment-by-moment things, how are we tying God's word into it? How are we tying how Jesus Christ is shaping our lives into it? And it becomes amazing how many things God uses to work out who he is in the lives of others in those relationships as we get intentional about it. There's lots of opportunities. It also needs to be all of us. Part of our legacy isn't that we only come and learn about God's commands and teach them on Sunday morning. In your Sunday school class, in youth group, Awana, or your weekly Bible study, the discussion of God's words and what we do because of it is a daily moment-by-moment thing. The fifth and sixth you shall. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your posts. What reminders do we put in place that help us to keep God's commands? Daily study of God's word. Memorization of scripture. Getting together regularly with others to discuss God's words and how he is working in our lives are all reminders of what the Bible says and checks on whether or not I'm doing it. I have one of my favorite passages. I have it on my laptop screen. I have scripture on the inside of one of my custom bows I have built. 
And these aren't things that we all need to do personally, but I know I need checks throughout the course of the day of just who God is. And I need checks put in place of what, what really is my purpose. These aren't things that you all have to do when I talk about what I do with my, what I have on my computer and what I have on my bow, but they're the things I'm in front of um, probably a majority of my time while the computer is. Something I'm in front of the majority of my time when I'm working and stuff. I need those reminders in my life as to who I'm serving. And we all need reminders. Um, verses 10 to 15 in this passage are reminders of why. Um, when you look at those verses and you think about the nation of Israel coming into the promised land, and God has literally provided for them everything they needed, yet they still needed that reminder of who did it. And we see historically, when you look through scripture, we need reminders because God does awesome and amazing things in all of our lives. And we still need the reminders of who he is and what he's doing. Because it's easy to get caught up in distractions of culture and we forget our purpose and the one who provides. In Joshua 4, the nation of Israel has passed over the Jordan into the promised land. And the Lord tells Joshua to have 12 men take 12 stones and put them where they camped. Then we see their purpose in verse 7. Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel forever. How awesome would it be that if our impact and legacy shows others what God has done? I cannot think of a better impact or legacy to leave behind for, for them, for those who see us, to say that we really love God with all our heart, soul, and might, and that we strive to keep all of his commandments. And others came to know him and grow closer to be him because of how we lived. My prayer is for all of us to consider our legacy and ask God how he can be using you to impact others for his kingdom. And worship team, would you please come forward as I close in prayer? Lord God, when we think about legacy and what it means, um, and as we said, it is different for each of us as, it, as individuals in the lives that we're going to be involved in and what we're going to be doing. Um, but Lord, I pray that we all take it seriously, that we all have a desire to leave a legacy and impact that really brings you honor and glory and shows those who do not know you who you are and those who do know you that, that gives them a passion and desire to become more like our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.